Support for this program is provided by Chevron. So for starters, Zach, before we go deeper, Democrats have talked a big game on this reconciliation bill being a very important part of their climate policy. How much of their promises around climate hinge on this clean energy standard proposal? Well, it's a lot of it. If you look at some of the modeling that Chuck Schumer's office did, it's one of the bigger portions of how the U.S. would get to the emissions reductions that Joe Biden said he wants to get to, which is a 50% below 2005 levels by 2030. You know, to a lot of environmental activists and even climate scientists uh, and energy modelers, they say this is the single most important part of the climate plan. The idea is that this program would pay utilities to deploy more clean energy and to penalize those that don't. And you talk to a lot of smart people and they said, well, that basically means you can't have natural gas without any sort of carbon capture and storage technology. And it certainly means coal, even with carbon capture and storage, is likely not going to be an option here. The White House and those helping to write the legislation are considering raising that emissions factor to actually create a little bit of headroom for uh, you know, natural gas and coal-fired power plants with carbon capture. This is seen as a, uh, you know, fig leaf to Senator Manchin, who has said publicly and privately that he does not like the way that this clean electricity performance plan is designed. He's not a fan of it. I'm Annie Snyder. This is Politico Energy. And today... Politico Zach Coleman on the Democrats' quest for a clean energy standard that pleases Senator Joe Manchin and keeps its bite on the energy industry's emissions. It's Friday, October 15th. And so do we know whether simply changing that metric would be enough to win over Joe Manchin and or enough to make coal and natural gas viable um, under both the SEP program and, you know, in the world of other economic incentives that are being envisioned through the reconciliation bill for solar and wind? It's not clear that these changes would be enough to win over Joe Manchin. I mean, there is some chatter that I've heard from people uh, around Washington, D.C. circles that Joe Manchin's real concern is with natural gas, you know, power plants. So, you know, the environmental activists, they don't want it to allow for any gas without carbon capture. No unabated gas is the term of the the day. Uh, But if Senator Manchin is concerned that this is going to squash combined cycle natural gas, you know, this is not going to be addressed by the clean electricity performance plan because that plan as the people who support it envisioned it would not allow for unabated gas. So it seems as if they're speaking different languages. So, okay. So, so unclear whether or not this would solve the political problem with Joe Manchin. Um, but what, what is the, what about the other side of the equation, the progressives that need to be on board for a reconciliation bill to get the votes? Is a coal or a natural gas plant with, with carbon capture and storage, do, do they see that as clean energy? Would that, would that be something that they could accept? It depends on who you ask. There are certainly a number of progressive environmental organizations and environmental justice groups that would say, no, this is not acceptable. But you talk to some other, you know, people who are talking about this policy and they have 
always thought of that emissions factor that I've referenced as being a an opening number, a negotiating posture. Uh, so you know, you enter into something as uh, difficult as a three point five trillion dollar reconciliation package. You can't expect that everything you propose is going to end up the same at the end of the process. We're certainly seeing that right now as we're even talking about the top line number being decreased. So I guess the one point something trillion dollar question, two trillion dollar question at the end of the day is, is the sort of middle ground that's being discussed here enough to get us to the Paris climate goals, to get us to President Biden's climate goals? I know there would still need to be more action from the executive branch, even if the Congress passed this reconciliation plan wholesale. I mean, there's not enough here on on its own to get to where uh, the U.S. wants to be. So it's difficult envisioning getting there without some sort of legislation, though. And this does seem to be the hot ticket in town. It seems it's got enough momentum and political buy-in to pass in some fashion. It's just a negotiating issue right now. Well, so point taken that that even even as originally envisioned, this wasn't going to be enough to get to the Paris climate goals alone. But I do wonder with the, you know, when you look at sort of the various building blocks that are available, the various levers that are available, as you say, this is sort of the, the central one, um, certainly from a legislative standpoint. Uh, and, and is there a feeling that there are enough other levers available if this gets, gets you know, moved to a middle ground spot that, that those goals could still be met, either through executive action or through these other incentive programs? I don't know if anyone's done the math on that to really figure it out, but it's it's hard to envision there being enough levers to pull to get to where the Biden administration wants to go if they were to do it with executive action alone. I am not saying that it can't be done because I have not done that modeling, but it's hard to envision that being the case. Do you do a lot of modeling, Zach? I don't do a lot of modeling. Hand modeling, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to be looking in catalogs now going, huh, oh, Zach? <laughs> also, the White House is at least temporarily putting aside its fight against fossil fuels and reaching out to the oil industry to try and find a solution to rising gas prices. Over the past year, gas prices nationwide have gone up by about a dollar per gallon, a surge that threatens the economic recovery and has put pressure on the Biden administration to take action. But the reality is that much of the surge in prices at the pump is beyond the White House's control. That's put the administration in the awkward position of asking the OPEC cartel to increase production and reaching out to American oil producers for advice. Those moves look hypocritical to some in industry who are still smarting from the administration's pause on new oil and gas leases on public land. Dealing with gas costs is also a struggle for the oil industry, whose response is hindered by a number of factors. First, a decade of diminishing returns has prompted companies to slow investment in recent years. And at the same time, the sector is operating with reduced manpower after laying off truck drivers and other workers when demand cratered at the beginning of the pandemic last year. If you haven't yet, subscribe to our show from wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And for more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morning energy. Carlos Prieto is our producer. Raghu Manavalan is our senior editor of audio. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. Irene Noguchi is Politico Audio's executive producer.
Our editors are Matt Dalia and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Annie Snyder. See you next week. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.